Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. Now, history is complicated. For instance, there are many people in Ireland today whose grandparents were in the old IRA, and there are also people whose grandparents were in the RIC. In the latter category is the RT Europe editor Tony Connolly. Next Monday, he'll present a documentary called Hidden History, where he traces the story of his grandfather, who not only was a member of the RIC, he subsequently joined the RUC. Tony, good afternoon. Afternoon, Sean. Did you always know your grandfather was in the RIC or, or was it spoken about much when you were growing up? Well, I, I knew about it and I, we knew that he had been in the RIC because we knew he was from originally from County Galway and we, we knew then that he became an RUC man after partition. But we didn't, it, it wasn't really talked about very much. Um, I mean, there was there was the odd photograph of him around the house. But, you know, I think because he died the year I was born, he, you know, he wasn't obviously a presence in my life. So, the, you know, there was never any opportunity to ask him questions. And my dad was the youngest of six children. Um, so he, you know, he had a bit of a generational gap there as well. So it wasn't talked about very much except, you know, I was always intrigued by this story of of a man from very rural Galway from a very small location who was in the old Royal Irish Constabulary. Like we knew some, there had been some attempt on his life uh, during the War of Independence. And then for him to be suddenly transported into County Antrim as a Catholic uh, sergeant in the RUC, the Royal Ulster Constabulary, you know, with all all of that, what all of that entailed, you know, I always was intrigued by his life. But, you know, I, I never spent too much mm. time thinking about it, to be yeah. honest. Uh, now, the, uh, and apologies to the people of Kilconnell, because Tony just described Kilconnell as a, as a small place. Uh, the, <laughs> Kilconnell is the centre <laughs> of the hurling universe in in East Galway. The, 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 the thing is, though, and I suppose it's something that people forget, especially when the hoo-ha a couple of years ago about uh, the commemoration, was that... At the time your grandfather joined the RIC, it wasn't a controversial choice to make. No, it wasn't. Um, I mean, so my grandfather, Michael Connolly, joined the RIC in 1908, um, which was, I suppose, a, a benign period for the force. The land wars had concluded in the 19th century, and that obviously gave the RIC a very bad name. Um, and, the, you know, I think there was a period of calm before the storm, um, the Royal Irish Constabulary had become more of a domesticated, regular civil police force, even though they were armed and they were, I suppose, the eyes and ears of the British authorities in Ireland. But there wasn't that stigma necessarily hanging over them that that would come later. Uh, so yeah, it, it was a probably a, a, a fairly uncontroversial time for him to be doing to, to be following that particular career. And I suppose to a degree, he was unlucky in the sense of where he was transferred to. Yeah, so he his first posting was in Castle Gregory in County Kerry. Um, and there he met my grandmother, Nora Flynn, who was the daughter of a local school teacher, John Flynn. And once they got married, I mean, she would have been vetted by the force because the, there was a very strict vetting procedure. And the other strict uh, rule was that you could not stay in the locale where you met your partner or wife. So he had to be transferred immediately. They were married and he was transferred to Carrick-on-Sure in South Tipperary. 
Um, and of course, Tipperary had a long history of agrarian violence, of rebelliousness, or sorry, rebelliousness. And it was, of course, it was Robert Peel, who was an MP for Cashel, who established the Royal Irish Constabulary in the first place in 1836 because of his own experience of the sort of rough ways of uh, the locals down there. So um, that that was where he landed uh, in 1915, just after he got married. And, you know, things were to change very radically in, in a very short period of time. Mm. Uh, because I, I I imagine his experience of being in the IRC is, was quite different once he arrived in Tipperary because of what was happening. And and to the extent that, as you described in the documentary, there was a, an attempt on his life there. So, but, so in general, do you get the sense that when he arrived in Tipperary, he was isolated from the community to a certain extent and all the members of the RIC were? Not immediately. Um, I mean, what, one thing that we uncovered in the research was that in 1916, there was a terrible house fire on Main Street in carrick on and there was a family there that were caught in the fire and my grandfather pulled several members of the family from the burning building um, and he managed to resuscitate um, the mother of the family uh, and he received a medal from the Royal Society of the for the Protection of Life from Fire, which is quite a rare medal to receive. Uh, and two other RIC men were given those medals. So, you know, I, I can't be categorical about it, but I, I would imagine that that would have probably gone down quite well among the people there that they'd, they'd done their best. It was reported in the local paper, um, this, this, these efforts by, by the RIC then. Um, but pretty soon there was a boycott handed down by the IRA against RIC men and their families. That was probably about 1917 or 18. And then that boycott was later confirmed by the Dáil and uh, Eamon de Valera. So the RIC were very soon outcast as traitors and, you know, to, to be avoided, to be ostracised. You know, women were encouraged not to sit near them on, on a pew in church. Uh, and this was part of the of the IRA's campaign against the RIC, which obviously got more and more violent. Mm. So when... When then the, the the War of Independence was over and, and the RIC was disbanded, the the fact, as you said already, he he went on to join the RUC. Was that, as far as you can tell, because he had nowhere else to go? Well, what what we were able to uncover in the in the research was that there had been a, a tribunal of inquiry set up by Winston Churchill, uh, looking into the plight of. RIC men, because the RIC was a very important part of policing. In fact, the way the RIC was structured in the 19th century became the template for all colonial policing across the British Empire. Um, and, you know, you, you had to be of a certain height and physique. And there was a bit of a mythology that was perpetuated by the UK, the British government, that the, these were the, the finest upstanding men of Ireland who had been hunted down and murdered and burned out of their homes. And some 4,000 RIC men went to England, um, probably as refugees. I mean, we, we've discovered that my grandfather did receive compensation from this tribunal of £90 for, quote, the forced sale of furniture, which indicates that he had to, they had to leave in a hurry. Um, and it, it, from what I gather, he went to 
England because my grandmother's brother was there, Tim uh, Tim Flynn. Now, he had gone to England at the same time as Michael Collins to sit the British Civil Service exam, and he was in London. So they had someone to see over there, but it doesn't look like my grandfather was able to get work. And then his brother-in-law, um, a man called Michael Small, who had settled in Newry uh, to work for the RUC, said, look, they're recruiting RIC men why don't you come over and you, you'll get work? So it seems to me that's that's actually what happened. At the same time, that must have been difficult for him, uh, a tag in an RUC uniform. Well, yes. U- ultimately, that was a major challenge for him. But remember, because of the, the, the rule that RIC men couldn't stay in the locale where they'd met their wives or where they were from, a lot of the RIC men who were located in barracks in north in the north of Ireland pre-partition were actually from Cork and Kerry. Mm-hmm. And I found out that in Armoy, which is a little village in County Antrim, made famous because it's where Joey Dunlop, the motorcycle rider uh, racer, came from. Um, up up to partition, the three RIC men who were stationed there were Irish speakers. So there was this strange network of southern RIC men still living in Northern Ireland. And my father says that, you know, often you would get policemen who would come to the house in Larne, where my grandfather eventually settled as an RUC man. And, you know, he had that network of friends that he could that he could see. But it was a real challenge for him because he, he as a as an RUC man, had to show that he was loyal to the Crown, that he was loyal to to the police force, which many regarded as a sectarian loyalist police force. So, for example, he had to he would fly the Union Jack outside the family house every summer uh, until one one year, my father, in a fit of nationalist pique, came home and ripped <laughs> the flag in and tore it up, put it under the bed, and then my father says that. Uh, Michael Connolly saw it and didn't say a word. And the next year, there was no Union Jack flying from the uh, from the house. So, but you know, I, I've often found that must that must have been very difficult for him to know, you know, how to comport himself as a Catholic. You know, as his wife, my grandmother was from Kerry, and you know, she would never go to the shops to buy food or groceries. She would always get the the, the the you know a bicycle boy to deliver everything. So she was very self conscious of her accent in in Larne at that time and you know it was it was really challenging for the family being catholic in in Larne around for example first communion um there my grandfather was drafted in to protect pilgrims who were traveling to Dublin on the boat in 1932 for the eucharistic congress uh, they were stoned by loyalists going to the boat. There was a boat travelled from Larne to Dublin. Um, so that was something he had to somehow internalise and mm. just cope with, you know. So it, it, it certainly wasn't easy. Did they stay in Larne for long then? Well, they, he started in Ballycastle, which is, uh, you know, by, by the sea up in North Antrim. And that was actually quite a Republican town at the time in, in 1918, uh, 1922. Um and then he was in Armoy and then eventually in Lauren. So Lauren is where he stayed for a long, a good part of his career uh, as uh, he became a sergeant. But he was a sergeant for a very long time. And, you know, the, the view in the family was that he was not, never promoted uh, because he was a Catholic. Um, eventually, they wanted to send him to Portadown, um, which was even, you know, an even <laughs> tougher kind of place for a Catholic policeman to be. And he, at that point, he just he quit. And he ended up working as a as a groundsman in the um, Holy Cross um, convent there in Larne. 
so that was where he he spent his final days, and then then I think they moved to Belfast when when he was uh, retired. It's an absolutely fascinating story. It's called Tony Connolly, A Hidden History. It will air on Monday the 12th of June on RT1 and the RT player at 9.35. Uh, Tony, thanks a million. Thank you, Sean. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm. With Anna Glaze. On News Talk.